You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. You know what's aggravating? <laughs> you know what grinds my gear? No. You know what's aggravating? Uh, what's aggravating is this. When you call a company <clears throat> to dispute some sort of claim, right? To dispute some sort of money issue, minor issue, whatever it is. And then they say this. They say, please hold. We'll direct you to the appropriate department. Right? So they'll transfer you. And so, of course, you being the patient, good-natured Christians that you are, you say, okay, and you let them transfer you, and you sing along with the elevator music that's going along, they transfer you, and finally, when the person does speak up, hopefully it's not an automated voice, but when the person does speak up, they ask you, what is your need, what is your issue, and so you specify your issue even more, and they say, oh, for that particular issue, you have to speak to this other department, right? And so they say, please wait, I'd like to transfer you, thank you for your patience, and now you're kind of fuming, right? You see these kind of comedic cartoon smokestacks coming out because you're getting really mad now. They're transferring you to some other department, and they'll, they'll do that again and again because why? For them, they have a specialty, and they got a subspecialty, and all you simply want is a simple reimbursement or maybe just some information about the warranty or whatever the issue is. You want them to honor the contract, but they just seem to be laying you off from one department to another, from one subspecialty department to another. Why? Because today we live in a day of specialization. Almost every part of our lives now has a specialist, right? These so-called experts. They're experts in this tiny, small, little sub part of your subject or topic or whatever need you have. That's what's happened in church today as well. We've taken to the idea of specialization, and we've been applying it here to the church. We'll say, well, you're no, you know what? You're the one that's gifted in evangelism, so let that be your department. You guys feel me? Right? You're the one gifted in evangelism. You're the extrovert. You go and go out to the neighborhood and share the word of God. Or we say, you know what? You're the one who makes the most money. So clearly, you ought to be the most generous giver. Or you're the one who, who does this. So you should ought to be that and so on and so forth. It's true. Everyone has their own giftings. Everyone has their own strengths and talents. Turn to your neighbor and say this. You have a gift. Because you know what you're good at. You know what your talents are, but that doesn't exempt you from being a minister of Christ. Okay, hear me out here. Meaning this, the Bible clearly teaches that the whole congregation is called to be ministers of Christ. The whole congregation is called to be ministers of Christ, which means to actively participate in all things related to faith. That means to participate and be active in all things related to your Christian journey, Christian walk, and your Christian spiritual disciplines. Now, I start with this principle here, the principle of ministry, because that's where our text today reminds us of that very lesson. Today, the Lord reveals in his word the encouragement for all of us, not some of us, not few of you, but all of us to faithfully minister to one another. Why? Because it is the work that can be so overwhelming, 
It is the work that can be so demanding, a work that is so full-time, a work that requires a team, a work that requires a body. It is a work that requires the church in order for it to be successful, in order for it to be biblical. Look, if we want to advance the kingdom of God, it doesn't just start with one person, but with all of us. Amen? So I got a couple points to make today. My first point is that only Jesus changes people. Everyone say hallelujah. Jesus changes people. You know, I remember a friend who learned a very powerful life lesson after ending an engagement with his then fiance. He said this. He said, David, let me teach you something. I said, be quiet, you're younger than me. And he goes, but let me tell you something. He says, never enter a relationship thinking that they'll change. Right? Never enter a relationship thinking, I can change him. I can change her. She'll turn around. He'll become better. Now, one of the most discouraging things about working with people and being with people, whether they're friends or coworkers, family, is that we realize that you and I, we really have no power to change them. No power whatsoever. Why? Because there are so many forces that are strong. They're stronger than you. Things like inherited traits or maybe generational of family kind of patterns of behavior and problems, things like that. Or maybe even the influences of the world around us and maybe even past emotional baggage. So many things surround us. So many things challenge us and so many things influence everyone. These things are powerful. And maybe some of you, if not all of you at one point, have experienced a season where you wanted someone to change, or you wanted some circumstance to change, or maybe it was, in fact, you, yourself, and you say, I need a change. I want to change. But you found it difficult to change, if not impossible to change. You know, the word of the Lord reminds us and encourages us all today, you have no power, but Jesus does. You have no power. But Jesus does, because it's Jesus who changes people. So what have we learned from the Samaritan woman, if you recall? I spoke on this, I spoke on her last week. She's part of this culture group, this ethnic group, and they hate the Jews, right? They reject the religion. They have a long history, about 1,000 years of complete hatred and bitterness and animosity towards the Jews here. And not only that, she's also a woman who's got a lot of past baggage, She's got a lot of shame in her life. She's got a bit of a spotted history. So she's been through five husbands. And right now, she's currently living with another man who is not her husband. But look at her now in the passage in the text that Ujin just read. After being confronted with Jesus, after seeing his claims and his teachings and recognizing now his identity, what happens? She leaves that special, important water jar that she logged all the way from home. She leaves that water jar and runs off to tell everyone that she has not met just some rabbi or teacher or good guy, but she has met the Savior. I have met the Messiah, she says. And we read that from verses 39 42, that her mission going back home, telling people it was a successful mission. How do we know that? Because it says the people believed her. The people believed her. Many people believed this woman who, by the way, they never had a relationship to begin with. Remember, she never spoke to these people. They believed her. 
So they return with her to meet Jesus. Jesus is now invited to stay over in the Samaritan town, to stay with them in town. And as a result, what happens? The Bible says more people believed. Praise the Lord. More people believed in him as they heard for themselves. How did this radical change happen, guys? How? Did she suddenly, at that encounter, read and suddenly understand everything about Scripture? Did she suddenly get a seminary degree? No. Did she suddenly become a scholar of the word and say, I can parse all the Greek for you? No. It all began with this. And these are my subpoints. First, it all began with her confessing simply, Jesus, you are my Savior and Lord. That's it. It all began with her confessing that Christ is the Messiah. Now, folks, I want to encourage people here... Um, this one thing here. If you want to encourage people to change, it's not about just simply lifting them up and hoping that change will happen. If you want people to change, hear me out. If you want people to change, it begins with you lifting Christ up. It begins with you lifting Christ up, not only in your life, but in their life as well. Lift up Christ and pray that he will be the one to bring the change needed in their lives. You must confess Christ as Lord, just like this woman did. Confess him as Lord. Lift him up as Savior. Exalt him as King. That's what this woman did. Don't tell that person that he or she can do it. No, tell them, hey, you know what? Christ can do it. Jesus can do this. You know that mess that you're in, that brokenness that surrounds you, the pain and the turmoil that you're wrestling with? You know what? On your best day, you probably won't be able to defeat that. That battle's too strong for you. There's too many powerful external forces, but you know what? Christ can overcome. Christ can overcome. Why? Because he's king. Why? Because he's Lord. Because he's our savior. You know, when my babies were born, it was their cry that signified the first sign of life outside of the womb. For the Christian, I hope and pray it will be the confessing of Christ that will be our first cry. That our first cry that we too, like this woman, will say, come, see the man. You see, when you are radically transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, the first cry ought to be, come and see this man who knew everything about me. He must be the Christ. He must be the Messiah. So not only did she confess, but interestingly, her values changed too. Remember, the only thing on her mind be before she met Jesus was simply getting water. That's all she wanted. She just wanted water. In other words, she wanted to carry on with the tasks of her life, right? It was all about the grind. It was all about simply what needed to be accomplished. She had an agenda. She had a checklist. I need to do this in my life. I need to accomplish this and all this stuff. For her, it was all just work, all duty. But when Jesus gave her the living water, she left that water jar behind to tell people the good news. Folks, when Jesus changes us, what we live for begins to change too. Because life becomes more than simply about making a living. Life now becomes about living for a reason. Life now becomes about living for a purpose. Life now becomes about not living for yourself, but for the glory of God. Not for your own personal ambitions, but now for the agenda of God. So here's my encouragement, my challenge to you all. Okay, hear me out. Challenge yourself every now and then, 
Ask yourself, and I'm not talking about do it on your New Year's resolution or one day when you just feel really good and hyped up after revival or after Sunday service. I'm talking about challenge yourself almost every day. Ask yourself this, what am I living for? Every day. What am I living for? When you're stressed out about life, when you're bending over backwards to appease someone, when your faith is taking a hit because you got to commit yourself to something else and when you're seeking to satisfy someone or something else, ask yourself, why am I doing this? What am I living for? You see, in Christ, our values begin to change. Priorities change. What we believe is important changes. And we stop stressing about the things that really shouldn't stress us out. So not only did she confess Christ, not only did her values change, but she also, and this is really important, she showed concern for the lost. She showed concern for the lost. Okay, so <clears throat> if you all don't know me, I'm born and raised here in Northern Virginia. Grew up in Foster City since 1988, okay? I lived here my whole life. I avoid certain areas here in Foster City. I do. Why? Because I know I'd run into people I know from the past, right? Uh, especially old high school friends, middle school friends, elementary school friends, and some of my past teachers. Living in such a small community, Foster City, not Foster, Foster City is about 2.2 square miles. It is almost impossible to avoid people, so you almost always run into them. In fact, one month ago at the CVS right next to my house, I went there to get some medicine, and I ran to my seventh grade science teacher. I was like, he's like, David, I was the only Asian face back then, by the way, so it's kind of, you know, you know who, who I was, right? And I said, oh, what's up? <laughs> you know, I call him by his first name because I, for some reason after our seventh, our seventh year graduation, he started asking the people, all his students started calling by his first name. So I was like, Harry, what's up? You know, and he's like, David, what's up? And it was just interesting. So, <laughs> so that was at CVS. Now, my avoiding people is simply because uh, I'm an introvert. I really don't like small talk. I love small talk with you guys. <laughs> I do. I mean, your family. I love you all, and I want, and I want to grow with you. But like other people here, know that, in other words, I'm not really into small talk. I've I got things to do. I'd rather whatever bad excuse I have, right? But this Samaritan woman, she had a million reasons never to speak to the people of her town. She was obviously despised by the elitist Jews. She knows that. She knows that she's hated, that she's trash, that she's garbage you know, by them, by their standards. But she also knew that she was clearly an outcast amongst her own people. Why? Remember, five husbands shacking up and sleeping with some other guy who's not her husband. People talk. People are thinking, you got a messed up reputation. But when she was changed by Jesus... Praise God, something happened here. It wasn't that she just received boldness to share, but you see, she received a transformed life. She received a transformed heart of compassion and concern for the lost. She suddenly begins to care for those who don't know Jesus. It wasn't that she elevated herself. It was that she lowered herself in a worthy manner where she recognized the common issue of all people, whether you're the elite Jews or whether you're the nasty Samaritans or whether you're the people who have looked down on her living in the same town, and that was this. You all need Jesus. That was her only thing. She realized, I got one common denominator, she said. Sure, you may have more money than me. 
Sure, you may look better than me. Sure, you may have a more intact marriage than me. But you see, what you and I both have is a need for a Savior. I am broken, and I recognize that you are broken too. I am sinful and wretched. And she says, I recognize that you are sinful and wretched too. Come, meet the man who knew everything about me. Could he be the Christ? This is what happens when the living, running water of Christ, the spring of joy of Christ flows through us. You know, today, if your life seems beyond repair, if you know someone who seems maybe hopeless, and, and maybe, if, maybe you're a bit overwhelmed by the so many problems of life that have been piled on top of you, maybe you've tried turning over a new leaf, and you said to yourself, you know what, no, no, no. This is going to be a new season. 2018 is going to be a new year for me. It's going to be a new chapter for me. But here's the thing. You fail. You fail. Why? Because you failed before. And you'll fail again. And so you kind of grow numb to this whole issue. And perhaps now you don't even care to change anymore. Here's the good news for you. You can't change yourself. Sure, you can kick your smoking habit, and I hope you do. Maybe you can start eating right, and I hope you do. But the true change that's required within us all, the change from old to new, from death to life, from restlessness to contentment, from hatred to peace, can only happen by the power of Jesus. Period. You know, I'm a pastor, and I'm a counselor too. I am in the business of helping people. Jesus is in the business of saving people. You may give really good advice, and I've heard some of you talk. You, you guys are smart. Smart little cookies here. You guys are wise too. You're discerning. That's awesome. You may be in the business of encouraging and affirming and edifying people, but Jesus, you see, he's in the saving business, and he works to restore people. What he does is he reclaims people. You know, what we do and what Jesus does are two different ball games. We can try to change and bring change, but you see, we're limited. Jesus, however, is able to save those who abandon all hope in themselves and who come to him in faith. That's what Jesus offers, amen? My second and final point is this. Ministry is our soul food that satisfies. Everyone say, that's delicious. <laughs> you know, investing in the world playing the stock exchange, earning degree after degree, buying fancy things, homes or cars, growing your wealth. People think that is what the ultimate success is, uh, looks like. I've heard people say, you know what, Pastor David? Once I make my six figures, I'll kind of be able to breathe. And then so they make it. And I'm like, by mistake. And then they say, but no, no, hold on, Pastor. I, I feel like I can't really breathe yet. I need to make at least a quarter mil now. I'm like... That's a lot of money, man. You're fine. He goes, so they make quarter mil. What happens after that? Oh, I just got married. My wife is expensive. Living here is expensive. Children are expensive. I need to make at least half a mil now. You see, it just goes on and on. Maybe for many of us now, we have in our foresight a plan. You all have a plan, maybe. And right now, it's towards something that we think will give us some semblance of peace some semblance of satisfaction. Maybe it's the completion of a degree or finally getting married or having kids or owning a company or buying a home. And once you do that, once you settle that, and once you kind of give in to that and attain that, you say, 
I can breathe now. Mm -mm. That's not going to happen. Look at Jesus here for a second. Compare your life to that of Jesus' experience here, okay? Jesus was tired, he was hungry, and he was thirsty. Verse 6 said he was tired. He was too tired to go with the disciples. In verse 7, he asked the woman for a drink. He was thirsty. In verse 8, he waited as his disciples had gone to town to get food. He was hungry. Jesus was tired, he was hungry, and he was thirsty. See, now, Jesus, he didn't need a lot. He didn't need a lot of wealth to make him happy at this point. It seemed that all Jesus really needed was a nice, cool drink of water a nice hot meal, and perhaps a few minutes in the shade to rest. And for him, that would have been enough. But look what happened. Does he get any of that? Nope. Jesus never gets a drink <laughs> after spending all that time in the well. He's like... <laughs> right? I mean, you can just kind of picture it. He never gets a drink. When disciples come back, Jesus refuses to eat. Verses 31-33 reads this. Meanwhile, disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Why, or rather how, was Jesus suddenly satisfied? How was he suddenly content? How was suddenly his thirst Quenched, how is his hunger now satisfied? How was he no longer fatigued? He seems satisfied, right? He seems invigorated, maybe even refreshed. How? We find out in the next verse in 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the Father, of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. Folks, hear me out and write this down. Ministering was food for his soul ministering was food for his soul. No, you don't have to have a certified minister title. Ministering, loving, encouraging, shepherding, pouring into, encouraging, just being hospitable, loving, being Christian. Ministering was food for his soul. Serving, being obedient was food for his soul. It is satisfying. You know, I got to say this, R-E-M here, is filled with working professionals. We have doctors, we got lawyers, we got government workers, we have teachers, we have those working all sorts of jobs. And when I ask them how it feels once a big contract is over or once they've met some deadline, this is their typical response. It feels good. Now seriously, some of them even shrug their shoulders and say, meh, on to the next one. It was okay. But when I ask them, how you're doing with your coworker that you've been purposely having lunch with so that you can share the gospel to, or, or that neighbor that you've been inviting over to your home so you can build a relationship and one day share your faith to and love on them. When I hear of your experiences of leading the VBS, uh, VBS school or, or, or classes over that grueling week and pouring into the lives of these children, or when you go on missions and you work with the refugees up in Pittsburgh, man, let me tell you, your responses are totally different. It's no longer, meh. It was no longer, it was okay. It was no longer, it was just good. Your response, your responses, I got to tell you, I wish I could write them all down. They're powerful. It's sentimental. You start talking about miracles when you've never spoken about miracles before. 
You start talking about passion. You start describing supernatural experiences. You start quoting scripture. You start tearing up and talking about the brokenness of the world and the hope of Jesus Christ. And you start tearing up and talking about all these wonderful things and you say it with a beautiful smile on your face. You say it with such joy across your face. You start talking with such passion and such conviction. You begin to speak with satisfaction. You're content. You guys hear what I'm saying? Why? You see, because when you minister to people, you've experienced food for your soul. Food for your soul. You experience ministry, ministering to those around you, ministering to those within the church here, to those at work, to those at school, to those walking the streets, to those who are broken. You see, to love and to serve, to minister to those around you is food for your soul. Never forget that. To love people, build them up, to grow in unity, it is good for you. It grows you. It is satisfying. You know, my sabbatical, folks, I want you guys to know this. It is not a year from ministry. It is a year to minister. You guys hear me? It is a year to minister, to minister in a different light, on a different platform, and to discover different gifts through a different capacity. That's why whenever we get burnt from life, too often have I heard from people that they want to just simply step down from ministry, and that is the worst thing to do. Uh-uh, don't do that. They say, I just want to focus on work. I want to focus on family. I want to focus on money. I want to focus on comfort. I want to focus on vacations. And those things, as great as they are, and I hope you do well and succeed in those areas of your life, those things will not satisfy you. It just will not Those things will not satisfy the hunger of your soul. You need more of Jesus. He satisfies your soul. You need more of his people. Serving them, ministering to them, that satisfies your soul. To obey the gospel by living out the gospel and preaching the gospel to yourself and to others is a way of satisfaction. Serving Christ is to find true rest. Loving Christ is to find true comfort. And confessing Christ to others is to find true freedom. Who doesn't want that? Jesus isn't speaking to non-believers here. He's speaking, he's speaking to his disciples. And so he finishes by saying in verses 37-38, he says, go reap the harvest now. He's calling us to go forth and to live an active and obedient life of faith. He says in verse 35, Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? What Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying, now's the time. Don't delay. Don't say, we got four months, Jesus. Harvest will come then. Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, now's the time. That spiritual desire, the hunger that you have right now, Don't say, I'll do it later, once I get things sorted in my life, once I figure things out, once my life is a little bit easier, a little bit more, you know, not as chaotic. Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, now's the time, come to me. Now's the time, surrender to me. Now's the time, confess that I am king, king, exalt that I am Lord. Now's the time, he says. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now's the time, not just for your own spiritual benefit, but to reach out to those around you. Do not wait another day. 
There are people who are dying left and right. Do not wait another day. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't say, I'll do it four months from now. The harvest is then is, will be there. He says, uh, now is the time. Don't wait for you to accomplish something or to receive something or to become something in order for you to do the will of God. Do not wait. Now is the time. Now God is saying, love your neighbors, pour into the lives of your fellow brothers and sisters here, give generously, even with the little that you have, be available to those who are lonely, be loving to those who are even bitter, be prayerful at all times, scour over the scriptures, bless those around you, share the love story of Jesus Christ, go and entrust yourself to Christ that he will bring the change needed to those around you, and he says, don't ever stop ministering. Don't ever stop loving. Don't ever stop serving those around you. This is what will sustain you. This is what food for your soul looks like. And he says, do it all now because now's the time. Now's the time. So let's all go and reap God's harvest of eternal life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. As we meditate and prepare, prepare our hearts for Simply a time of prayer between you and the Lord. I, I, I would hope and I would encourage you guys just to be honest with yourselves. Maybe you think, I do need a change. Or maybe you're thinking someone here needs to change. Look, before we start praying for that obvious sinner in our family or obvious sinner in our relationship or obvious sinner, uh, let's start praying for ourselves. Because you're the one here and you're the one who's listening to the message. God is speaking to you, folks. God, I want change, and I am powerless to change myself. But Jesus, this is your promise. This is your guarantee. I want to surrender myself to you, Christ. Bring change. That will never, ever be the same again. I want to, I want to live a life that glorifies you. I want to live a life that ministers to the people around you me right now for some of us we have a hard time um, with contentment again we're pursuing after vain things again it's not bad to work hard it's not bad to earn money it's not bad to live in a nice home and drive a nice car nothing's bad like that but you know what if that's your main life's pursuit no wonder you're so restless those things were never meant to satisfy creation was never meant to be everything we need the creator. Surrender yourself to him. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want to minister to the people that you have made and to the people that you have brought into my life. Okay? So let's take a moment just pray over this and um, once we're done, we'll go into our